like getting married, Nathan. Careful now. <laughs> Exceptionally brilliant. For a lot of people, Mbappe has that quality. For the best Euro 2020 coverage, subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Quick start car insurance you can sort anytime online, then bounce on with your day. Get a quote today at getsetgo.ie. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGinnis in his life. Off the ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on five three one zero six. We're streaming the conversation as well now. So as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball YouTube, Facebook, and on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store to download it if you haven't already. This is the Saturday panel. We're going to review the sporting week between now and two thirty five with a broadcaster and accredited sports psychologist Maura Trasini Cali, soccer correspondent of the Irish Times, Gavin Kumiski, and the former Loud Senior Gaelic football manager. Wayne Kieran's more Trassa, Gavin and Wayne. How are we all getting on? Great. All good, all good. All good. I'm wearing my Russian top uh, today, folks, because I've got sucked into the vortex of the Euros, uh, which started last night. Um, Gavin, have you been sucked into the vortex yet with Italy and Turkey? Were you on transfer marked going through uh, the intricacies? No, I was of... too busy watching Djokovic. Um, oh, were you? Okay. <laughs> for Nadal, I couldn't, couldn't, get to- couldn't tear away from it. It was, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. So. Uh, today, you got the Swiss and the Welsh are about to get cracking into each other now. So that's right at two o'clock. Yeah, um, but are you are you bought into this now, Gavin? Are you bought into this feast of football, this carnival over the next month? Um, I hope, I hope it will be. Like if the last Euros wasn't great, I know it was great for us, but it wasn't great as a spectacle because there's so many poor teams in it. So I'll definitely be, I'll definitely be engrossed in the knockouts. But hopefully, the next few weeks are going to be what we what we want. You know. Yeah, more trash. Are you are you sucked into it? Oh yeah, I was sucked in. I was saying it this morning. I was sucked in as soon as Andrea Bocelli began to sing, and um, that was me. Like totes emotion. It brought me back to like way back when. Like my first ever football memory would be that song of Italia '90. Like I've no memory of the actual football that happened in the year, but I just it's mad how music just stays in you, and it comes out and it just brings back all those magical feelings, and you just kind of hope that, yeah, the Euros live up to what we really needed to be because there isn't much else going on, you know, in the world we're living in at the moment. We need it. It was symbolic, wasn't it, as well, that it would be in Italy, wouldn't it, more traffic? Because that's where there was so much pain and so much tragedy at the start of this pandemic. And if it feels that we're coming out of it, it was it was apt, it was fitting that it was in Rome and it was Bocelli singing last night, I thought. Yeah, actually, that's a pretty deep thought that I never thought of. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, when you think about it, we were watching Italy in the horrible throes of that first devastating wave of COVID, horrified thinking, is that going to come to our shores? And really, when you think about it in really horrible black and white terms, they did us a favour. They showed us what to expect and we possibly prevented a lot of deaths as a result. So, yeah, it's great to see the beginning of a new horizons and a new day and a new world, hopefully beginning to dawn with that beautiful voice and that beautiful music. And I think what struck me was that the, I know we're supposed to be talking about the football, but the opening ceremonies are such a part of this. And normally they're such a letdown, but this had to be simple and it was so effective as a result. Rating opening ceremonies. Um yeah, they're 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 generally awful. I remember the Robbie Williams at the World Cup in Russia, wasn't it? And Wayne, uh, have you got completely? Have you got the sticker album yet? Have you been going down the shop and uh, and, and spend a bit of money on the sticker album and pretending yeah, for your kids? I haven't I haven't got the sticker album yet, John. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely suckered into it. There's no doubt about that. I really enjoyed it last night. It was great to get it on the way after all the hype and the build up and stuff. Um, and I thought it was a great game. I know Toki's sort of frustrated Italy for long periods, but I thought Italy were very impressive. So. They are certainly somebody to watch as the tournament goes on, but I can't wait to watch all the games. It's obviously a pity that we don't have any home involvement, but you can't have everything. What are you most interested in looking at, uh, Gavin, over the next while? Oh, um, I, 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 England, obviously. Um, just England, Croatia is just going to grab everybody now. I think you know. Um, it's funny that you're taking some of the topics from the talk about how much we we love to hate England. 
I, I don't really feel that way. I, I love I love them to go far in a tournament so we can enjoy what happens in the semifinals to them every time, you know. So, um, but like I, I don't feel a lot of people feel there's no I don't know bitterness to watching Jack Grealish or Declan Rice. I'm really fascinated to watch them to see how they go, and I think they can be a great lesson for us about how we do our recruitment, uh, how the FAI does their recruitment going forward. Like they could they should be the lesson that we don't make again because there will be other things. But England, yeah, how, how can we not be compelled by them? They don't even know their own team yet, you know. Yeah, like Harry Maguire might now be fit, which would mean they would play fourth and back tomorrow, which would mean they would change everything. Um, that is just completely, like, you know with Mancini, you, you knew that Mancini has the whole thing sorted and, and worked out last night, and it's 28 wins in a row now, and however limited Italy might be in terms of flair, you know what you're going to get. I can't believe in a way that England, we still don't know, 24 hours out from the game tomorrow, is Mount going to play, is Grealish going to play, is Foden going to play in the same team? It's absolutely fascinating. Um like I, I'm, I'm quite positive about England. I, I would feel that I support Harry Kane every week. Why would I be hypocritical not to support him uh, if he plays for his country? I know we've had the whole 800 years thing more, Trassa. Um, but I, I'm wishing well, England I, well. I like to... I'm convinced someday he'll do an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? And they'll find out we're related. My granny was a Kane and we're from the same end of the country. So, <laughs> you know, I'll claim this man if, if it comes, if, you know, if he wins things and it turns out to be related to me. But no, it's weird. I... I it, this is a likeable England team and I think it's the first England team I've liked and I think a lot of that comes from Southgate I think and yeah. um, even despite all the, the the controversy and the Irish traumas about the likes of uh, Grealish I, I don't know what it is I like them more than any other English team that I've ever seen playing and I like to see how far they how far they go and I'm kind of looking forward to the inevitable Greek tragedy at the end of it and it's not because they're England but it's because they're England, if that makes sense, the story they've always had, that they've always built themselves up so much. But the thing is, this time around, they've been built up and they do have the firepower up in front. But does that mean they're going to lose it in defence? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Will I cheer for them? No. Will I be sad for them? No. Will I say if they go on and win the thing, will I say fair play to them? No, but I'll probably watch. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Wayne, how do you feel about it? Yeah, you. I think you mentioned the right word there earlier, John. It's it's a bit being hypocritical, like because I, I don't really want them to do well. And um, I think that rivalry is good and it's healthy. But you know, at the same time, I want Jordan Henderson to do well because you know he he's my club captain. So if Trent was there, I'd want Trent to do well or any other Liverpool player. I remember many many years ago when they beat Germany five one and everybody was away. You know, I was delighted because it was all Liverpool players that scored. So. If you're aware that you are hypocritical towards them, you know, you know, you just have to live with that. But I wouldn't be bitter. I'd be like the rest of the guys. I wouldn't be bitter about Rice or Grealish. And, um, you know, I think Mario Trasser hit the nail on the head. They are likable because of Southgate. I think he's more the, the most affable England manager that they had. And plus, I think he's a very good England manager and he's created a brilliant culture and he's created... and. The other point that you made, John, the fact that nobody knows what their team is or what shape they'll play tomorrow, I think that that's a positive thing because he has shown that they can be flexible. So I'm looking forward to watching them, but maybe I don't really want them to win it. <laughs> if they're in the final, Gavin, England and France, will you be cheering for England? I'd be cheering for France. Cheering for France. Uh, that would be because of uh, because of family, uh, relatives and all that. But um, no, I, I'm, I'm never going to cheer for England. Um, why would I, you know? Yeah. They're not going to cheer for us. But uh, it doesn't. I don't, I'm not going to take any joy in their failure because what does that says more about us than it does about them? If we're if we remain, well, we can't help it. We're going to be a bit petty about it. Um, but no, I I don't find them that likable. And Southgate doesn't do too much for me. He is a good coach, but um, no, I, I'm sure they'll um, once they get going because this is such a good team. It's their best chance to win a tournament since '96, I think. And once they get going, um, they will become so unbearable. Not not necessarily the players or the group, but everything around them will become unbearable. And you can't have you will like we will find it funny if they slip up. But this team, this is the first time that I can remember. Maybe twenty eighteen, you could the argument can be made. But this is the first time where if you they really should win this tournament. They have the team to win this tournament, so that's their standards. That's where if they if they are in a final against France, I think France are the only team that are better than them. You know, when we put the two of them out together. Uh, players so yeah but definitely definitely cheer for France in the final it'll be fascinating more trusted to see if there's booze tomorrow I expect there will be 
I expect there will be too. And that's exactly why it's very difficult to cheer on this England team because the show around them is so unbearable. The newspapers, the coverage, the lads, fans, that we, you know the type of fan I'm talking about. They're just unbearable people. Um, not all their fans, obviously, but you know the subsect I'm talking about. They're loud. They're just not nice. They're, they're, they celebrate. They're, they haven't achieved much, but they have a lot to say. And that's just really annoying. <laughs> but I think the booze will happen and it, it shows more up them rather than the players. And it shows up kind of a sector of, I suppose, Britishness that has been going for the last few years that culminated in Brexit. And we're still dealing with the ramifications of that today. I, that People may say that's very glib and a very broad sweeping analysis of it. But I think the same people who are booing are probably the same ones who voted for Brexit and to have that kind of mentality and it's not nice and yeah it's for that kind of reason that they're very hard to get on board with I think yeah it's 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 a shame in a way that um uh, an anti-racism statement should become a political football for the next month I'm, I'm fascinated I, I do think there'll be booze tomorrow uh, we had that open letter from Southgate Michael Walker wrote a nice piece about it the, today in your paper uh, Gavin um it, it, like you had Victor Orban coming out the other day and depressingly uh defending the Hungarian supporters who booed the Irish players uh, for taking a knee before the before the match. You can't separate politics and sports, unfortunately. And that's what we're going to see in the next few weeks. Well, Vic, the Victor Orban uh, statement was very predictable, you know. Yeah. Um, I taught Stephen Kenny showed people who might know him that well a lot about who he is with the way he handled the post-match mm-hmm. stuff. And they put up Chidoze and they put up Adamida and uh, the way Kenny spoke like a lot of people would have been writing a mildly critical uh, 800, 900 words about the last month of him in charge. But because he took control of that situation and just directly sitting in a room full of Hungarians in a Hungarian stadium in Budapest, just accused them of being racist, you know, just accused their fans of being racist and saying how unacceptable it is. And uh, um, yeah, I've always been uh, pretty impressed with Stephen Kenny, but how he handled that post-match after the game, I thought was great because... Um, you can you can you can pretend it's a nuanced conversation when people boo other people taking a knee to protest anti-racism. You can pretend that you can you can say, "Oh, it's okay. Uh, I'm just sick of it because it's been going on for so long," or uh, "I can't be racist because I have black friends." We can do all that and pretend it's nuanced. But if you're booing uh, people taking a knee for such an important moment in our in our in society, um, it's to me and Kenny touched on it as well. It's overwhelmingly and shockingly racist. And we are probably going to see it. I'm really, really interested to see if we see it when there's two matches in the Aviva Stadium in September when Azerbaijan and Serbia come to see how we see how Irish fans like again, it's going to be a small section, but the um there is uh, in England we know that. We know it's 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 evident in Italy, we know it's evident in Hungary, we know it's evident all around. Um but yeah, it was a timely reminder what happened in Budapest, I thought. Uh, for us, because it's been it, it, the English have had to cope with this as well a lot. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really important uh, how Stephen Kenny dealt with it. So, so there was absolutely no, he he didn't leave it any way open for people to argue and go, well, maybe we shouldn't take a knee. Maybe it's maybe it's not the right way about it. I think it is the right way about it. And I think I don't. I think we we can. There there is grey areas, but I think it's black and white. When people boo, people making a, a protest like that, it's it's racism in its purest form. And he was also protective of his players as well. That's the, the key thing here. It was brilliant what he did. And he put them up. Like, uh, I, it was good. People might have got to know Chidozi Obene. I did a piece about, um, I, there was almost like, I think there was four um, Irish lads of Nigerian descent in his squad. And it could have been six, could have been seven. And there will be more in the next while. But for this camp, and uh, I decided to interview all their coaches, uh, uh, Obene's coach, uh, Andrew I'm a Bam DLA, Gavin Bazunu's, uh, the Rovers guys and all that. And funnily enough, with Chidoze Obene, I said, I won't or interview a football coach of his as a kid. I'll interview uh, Robbie O'Dwyer, who's the Nemo Rangers mentor, Mick O'Dwyer's son, about him. And uh, because I know he had, uh, for a couple of years there, he was just, Nemo just thought they had, Cork, Gaelic football, just thought they had this unbelievable superstar. And the way Robbie was talking about him, I was, sounds like you're describing Brian Fenton here. And, and he goes, no, I'm serious, Gavin. You should have seen him. You should have seen what he was about to do for us. As a 17, 18-year-old playing under 21s for Nemo, you know. And uh, they were they were distraught to lose him because they felt like they had this something that could bring Cork football back to uh, where they like to think they should be, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I find that fascinating. A bit like Satanta for the hurling. Um, 
and uh, and Sean O'Gg. Uh, but but I, I shouldn't really say this. It, like he spoke so well as well after the game, uh, Judozzi, about the whole thing. And and, and so he's a, I think he's a huge character. I yeah. really hope we get to see more of him. Maybe as this kind of cult hero uh, impact sub because his pace can just cause so much. Wayne would be great on it as well, just to see what he's like or his potential. He is twenty four already, but he's just so electric. Uh, just as some kind of a Roman winger that comes in when we need something that teams aren't ready for. Um, but yeah, if you could hear him, just I, I hope that went far and wide, his interviews post-match, because uh, he completely, you know when you, you know, he's a professional footballer who's lived a bit of a life outside of that bubble, and he seems to know himself, and he's, uh, I, it just, I just, char- charisma and decency kind of comes off him when yeah. he spoke my impression of yeah the first African uh, born uh, player to play for the senior team and Wayne do, do you get the sense um, as a soccer fan I know you're GA coach that Stephen Kenny's methods uh, as a football manager are beginning to, to bear fruit or is the jury still very much out once we've had a Luxembourg that the taste of it is still in their mouths no I think they are starting to bear fruit you, you have to remember in the, the extremely difficult circumstances Stephen started like notwithstanding all the injuries and the health of the squad, but with all the, the COVID situation as well. So it was always going to be difficult. But with, with that, you know, thrown on top of him and thrown at Stephen, you know, it was always going to take 10 games plus to see his put his stamp on the team. But I, I, I agree with Gavin. The way he did handle the situation in Hungary um, last week was, was, was excellent. And the, the word he actually used in relation to the, the boon by the Hungarian fans was in, incomprehensible. And, and he's right. And I think, you know, on the on the situation or on the issue of black Irish players playing for Ireland, that Stephen Kenny will create a really safe environment for those players. And, you know, your your question was, is 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 he is coaching Matt starting to bear fruit? They are. And you know, the two results, well look, they're not spectacular results on door and hungry and then they'll draw and, and a four one win. You know, you need to give the man time and when he gets a fully healthy squad and the games in September now are going to be important. The Azerbaijan's and your Portugal's and the other games. So I think, you know, I, I'm confident Stephen will, will do a good job. Uh, we got a text in here on 53106 for the uh, Saturday panel. Hi, John. Uh, Johnny Lou's piece in The Guardian today gives an excellent view on how conflicted some English are about supporting their national team. Looking at the way that country has lurched in recent years, it is very difficult to support them, says Robbie and Nina. Uh, that stop with the England. Uh, they've got a great chance. They don't. They're decent, nothing more. They're a young squad and a hard group. The fans think they'll win the trophy. One bad game, it'll all fall apart. And Scotland have one goal, stop England. Three lines out in the group stage, says David James on Twitter. I don't know if that's the former goalkeeper from Liverpool. Um, <laughs> the Scots and the Welsh, uh, Maura Trassa, would you have your uh, jock hat on or would you be supporting the Scots? Well, see, this is the mad thing, you see. Um, well, I suppose it's not mad at all. It makes complete sense. Does the Scot- if the Scots and the Welsh looked like they were gathering any kind of momentum, wouldn't you row in behind them and you'd start, you know, you'd start finding, you know, tartan from wherever you had it. You would be fully bought into it. And I don't know why, because, again, I think of Scotland, I would associate a lot of that with Rangers and they wouldn't be a team that I would be thinking, you know, oh, I want to get bandwagon behind these people. So it's mad how even though we've just been criticising the English and their national identity. Obviously, we're allowing our own Irish identity cloud our own opinions on other teams as well. And I don't see it happening. Uh, what the hell do I know, I suppose? But it'd be fun to have a Scottish, uh, I think, bandwagon to get on board with. But I don't know. I mean, I still think Scotland's best moment or worst moment or most highlighted moment in the Euros goes all the way back to 96. they will never surpass that. What, the Paul Gascoigne goal against them? Yeah, that is like the that is my first Euro memory that I have that's imprinted in my mind. And I remember I would have been like in Rangakuig or Rangashe and my parents having to explain lots of different things to me about like the dentist chair and how they were bold boys and they went out drinking and all this. Kind you never of did stuff. that in your subsequent life, um, Ortrasa, no? I'm not saying I didn't do it in my subsequent life, but I wasn't at it in Rangakuig. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like it, it's weird, isn't it? How if they got any kind of run? Would we get behind them? We probably would. Do I know why? No. I suppose it's just 800 years, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Gavin, I know you got a, a long rugby background. They're, they're, certainly their rugby unions don't back Ireland anyway, I can tell you that. No. No, they didn't vote for them for the World Cups. They got sorted out by the French or something. But, uh, but wouldn't it be amazing if uh, Grealish went and uh, brought back, did a, did a Gaza on whoever the Scottish centre-back is and scored a, a similar goal at Wembley in the game that launches England's whole campaign? very possible. I think I think Scotland will bring the best out of England. I think that's what they'll do because they're just they're just never going to imagine Scotland turning them over at Wembley in a, in in 
it would just be it would be worse than Stuttgart, you know. It would so, be it would be like back to seventy seven when they were taking down the goalposts. Um, when yeah, they beat them in yeah, that home yeah. nations, I think they call this, them. This England team is if they can just get the team right for that game, I think that'll be um, they'll uh, they'll be they'll be so switched on for that. Like they just can't let that happen, you know. I don't think there'll be a shock there. I'd be more worried that Croatia could beat them, but uh, I don't think the Scots will. I think they'll they'll show up for that match. Wales play um, Switzerland at two o'clock in, in Azerbaijan of all places. Well, if it be Phil Foden, won't it, Wayne, who'll do the dance's chairs because he's got the haircut now for he got the straw haircut. Um, he, he got, if he was trying to slip into the tournament uh, unnoticed, I think he, it was a bad decision to get the haircut done because instantly the Gaza talk started, but he's an unbelievable player. He really is. Um, and I think their whole, you know, he can play in the front three, he can play in the midfield three. I think, you know, it was, but we, as you said, we still don't know whether he's going to start. But I think he will. I think he will start, and he's going to be a massive player for them. He's an exceptional talent. It's all set up for that last sixteen as well. They're going to play. If they win the group, they'll play the, the runner-up of France, Germany, or Portugal. It could all end up very, very um, badly and very early. Yeah. Well, but you see, you know, as that original last sixteen game was supposed to be one of the Dublin games, so it might have, it might have been difficult enough for them to come to Dublin. You know, considering hostilities that we had with them over the years but the fact that that's moved to Wembley now you know the carrot is really there to win the group um, and it doesn't I suppose the opposition are going to have in the last six are going to be very strong either it's likely going to be France, Germany or Portugal so but the fact that it's at Wembley is a massive massive difference so it is set up for them to do well but I still don't think to have the quality all around the pitch that the likes of France, uh, Portugal and and the likes of Italy showed last night your intensity so be interesting to see can you see uh, Greece coming out of this uh, 24 team tournament Gavin is there any overachievers in your in your in your thinking um, no I think the best teams will I think the, well, the cream will rise to the top there's, there's too much quality in, in the major in the major nations Italy were interesting last night I did I did catch the highlights um, they uh, there's some of the parts it, it, some of the parts team like a, a Germany or an Italy could do something but um uh, I, I firmly think that last 16 game, whether it's England against Portugal or England against France or even Germany, will be, yeah, will justify everything. And like, even if we have a bit of a dour period, if there's a few games in Azerbaijan or whatever that just don't catch and there's too many nil nilers, and the last round of group matches could be very stale because people could be just seeing out draws to scrape through. But that game will, the tournament will explode. And there's no doubt of whoever it is that England are facing. And I do t- think that England won't slip up, they will definitely get there. But then it gets a very, uh, very squeaky boom, you know. It's actually very hard not to qualify for the last sixteen. Like, yeah, you know, we managed it. Yeah, we, we, we exactly <laughs> we managed it. And Portugal won the last tournament, and in the group stage, they had three draws, the three points. You know, so they went through as a third place qualifier. So you'd want to have a disaster if one of the big guns is to fall. They'd have to have a real disaster. So even though, even though like that, France, Germany, Portugal is the quintessential group of death. None of them's going to die. I think they'll be okay. They're, they're going to qualify for the last sixteen. So, and you wouldn't be surprised if the winner comes from that group. So, yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's another reason why it's a pity we're not there because we would have had a decent chance to get into the last. And we would have had a great time as well. Uh, we got to take a yeah. break. We'll be back after the news. Wayne Kieran's Gavin Comiskey and Maura Trasini Cali on the Saturday panel reviewing the week. You want to get in touch? You can text us on five three one zero six. We're back after the news on Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. The Saturday panel. Off the ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us five three one zero six. Tweet us at Off the Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel reviewing the sporting week just gone with the broadcaster and accredited sports psychologist Maura Trasini Cali, soccer correspondent of the Irish Times, Gavin Comiskey, and the former Loud senior Gaelic football boss Wayne Kieran's. We're streaming the conversation as well, so you can listen to us on News Talk, but also watch us on the digital and social channels for Off the Ball. For Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball, YouTube, Facebook. And on the OTB Sports app, if you haven't downloaded our great app yet, do so by searching OTB Sports in your app store. Wales and Switzerland have just kicked off in the Euros in Group A in Baku. Both teams taking the knee beforehand and Gareth Bale in the Wales team. Uh, Just some text here on 53106. As one of my friends said, people support English clubs, pay to go to the grounds, buy their merchandise, but don't support the national team. By the way, I'm Scottish-born Celtic supporter, so this does not apply to me. And hi, John, England are never tested in qualifying. That's why they always come a cropper in major tournaments. I'm hoping they'll get knocked out in the group stage, but I'll be happy with Germany, Portugal or France chinning them in the last 16 at the home of football. 
says Scouse Paddy on 53106. You can get in touch with us uh, on that uh, text number with any opinions or questions for the panel. Um, let's talk about the Gaelic leagues because this is just really, it kind of frustrates me when I see um, you have the situation where Tyrone and Dublin have to win today for a league final to actually happen. Then the championship itself is knockout, no second chances. So Donegal could be out of the championship in a couple of weeks' time. Look, there's been a pandemic. It's been not easy for the GA. They did a brilliant job last year with the championship and the lovely stories with Cavan and Tipperary and that and having the hurling final, Limerick and Waterford and Dublin Mayo then in December. I'm just frustrated with the whole structure, Wayne Kieran's are you? Yeah, I, I am frustrated with the structure, John. But the, the issue of of the having no or possibly having no finals is not really the thing for me. It's it's the issue of of promotion and relegation over just three games. Um, like okay, there, there might not be a final in Division One tomorrow, but the promotion, the relegation, you know, it, it's it's sorted with the relegation playoffs. If you look at the situation in Division Two South, with the likes of Kildare and. Um, Clare and Cork, you know, all three of them had four points. So Cork missed out in promotion because of score difference over three games. So it's, listen, as you said, I know it's crazy times and we're lucky to be playing football at all in some respects. But I would have more issue with the fact that, you know, you're, you're deciding counties the following season where they're playing and their, their, their National League status on, on three games rather than, you know, having no final. No Division 2 final either, more trash. The whole thing just seems a bit silly to me. The championship is what it's all about, and the teams won't even get a second chance in the championship. Yeah, and um, I suppose as somebody who you know works in this field, um, people say, of course, you would say this, but I just feel that um, in football in particular, it's particularly cruel. Knockout football, I thought we had evolved a bit more, like at least hurling gets another bite in the cherry and I think that's important obviously that's a buy factor as well of it being better organised there's you know there's 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 structures there's divisions and that probably makes it a bit easier timing wise and obviously I think you've all articulated really well the challenges the GAA face so it's not a criticism of the GAA per se when I say I really wish that the football championship had been imagined in a different way I just think it's very cruel to one go and you're out because these teams are training even they were training alone and that's so hard well the vast majority of them were training alone it is so hard to do that on your own to stay motivated during those horrible cold winter months when by the way let's not forget we were all under severe either financial pressure or psychological pressure there were people who got sick people who had relatives who got sick people who lost people and these footballers managed to keep ploughing on throughout that and I just think it's very cruel that you know in a few weeks time people are going to go out play one game and they're going to be gone and I don't think that should be a reflection of of, let's face it probably a year's work at this point because the championship last year went so late and I know it threw up last year the wonderful stories of Tipperary and Cavan and those teams and those counties are going to remember that day for the rest of their lives but there has to be a better way I think to reward and to create opportunities like this than knockout football. You just think we'd have evolved a bit better by now, if that makes sense. I just think it's an awful shame. And even as a fan, especially this year, and we can't really go anywhere and we're kind of stuck on this island. And look, let's face it, there's, there's many other places that would be much worse than being on the island of Ireland. But we would, we had more time and flexibility, I feel, to have a more comprehensive championship in football, while also not damaging the club structure, which is also vitally important. And I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? Trying to keep everyone happy. Yeah, but and it just seems there's a calendar cutoff point around this, which just seems a bit to me to be a bit like we went till we went till December last year in the whole fabric of the GA calendar in a, in its entirety. Like Gavin, I can't understand. Like the hurling eagle just finished this weekend; it'll just finish. Uh, whereas you could have had round robin matches in Leinster and Munster that would have meant a lot more. Uh, than this hurling league that to me means nothing one of the things I did last year when I was reporting every day on pandemic issues and collapsing of sports and all that I was like yeah, I think it does a responsibility on journalists not to be kicking organisations over stuff that's COVID organised it's happening the situation is the way it is because of what we're going through for the first time in 100 years so on that front yeah look it's it's, it's really messy that there's no league final in football and it's it's an awful shame that it's it's knockout as well. But if ever they've had an opportunity to actually properly get their structures in gear, it's been the last year. And what we should see in 2022 is they've had so much time. And I know this is the this is the the eternal debate about structures and about how we how we the GA runs their shop and how we break it up. But again, it just, just comes back to like Leinster Championship. Does anyone care? The Ulster Football Championship will be brilliant, of course. 
but it it's really perilous again this summer. Like it just takes a high ball from a Cork player to ruin the championship. You know what I mean? To stop him. <laughs> like yeah, like fairness to Cork to their undying credit, they were brilliant to knock them out. But what did they do straight after? You know. So and like not having Kerry in the business end last year, you know, it was left it all on poor Mayo's shoulders again to stop the Dubs. So yeah, that could easily happen again. Like Dublin could get caught, you know, which everyone would love. But um, I don't think we should. I personally don't think we should be complaining too much about how messy this all is at the moment. But if they haven't got, if if we haven't kind of taken the leap that just really needs to happen for a summer of football, one thing that always annoys me is the championship never, if you look at every other sport in the world, when they start NBA playoffs, whatever it is, uh, they always start with a bang. There's always a blockbuster fixture to get the whole thing going. Be yeah. Premier League, whatever it is, <laughs> the GAA championship never does this. Um, now this year it might actually change it a little bit, but it's just the slow, slow pace of it. We should be should be going. Look, here we are. This is our. This is what we have, and just start with a bang. And at least they're doing that. But the reason why, the, if there's no league football final, that's because they want to make sure that the first Ulster matches are, you know, it does fairness on player welfare. So now I, I just don't think we can. Like the only people that you can be kind of really critical for how they've handled their structures in COVID is like the Rainbow Cup. As like it's just a bad joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had, I had it on the I had it on the sheet here. Uh, the Rainbow Cup is a joke, isn't it? And they give answered that question. Yeah, it's not a funny joke. No, no. It's it's, it's... now I I haven't been reporting on rugby for the last uh, couple of months because I moved into soccer, um, but I haven't watched a single game because I don't care. Like after the Champions Cup final, like there was nothing in it to entice us. And unfortunately, like the only thing I've learned from the Rainbow Cup is you don't pour petrol on a fire. You know that was it. That was the only lesson that we've seen in the last while. Like. One of the things is um, they kind of unfortunately got they've gotten the final that the organisers deserve. Uh, it's going to be Treviso. Uh, if it is Treviso and a, a, Bach, a, a South African team without Springboks. Um, now, it just means that they have to they completely have to sort themselves out. But um, sorry, I'm, I, I got into rugby when we're talking about GAA. I apologise. Uh, I think, Gavin, yeah, I think you make a good point. Uh, like, I'm sure there's broadcast and sponsorship reasons why you have to have the league. Oh, and, no, it's, and, fine. it's purely financial, yeah. And, and, and But to me, like, the, by the time next year comes around, Wayne Kieran's, I want to see, personally, I want to see the provinces in the spring, like, like, look, the GA such a complex organisation that, you know, just to have a wish is, 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 is something that can often not really turn into reality. But to have the provinces in the spring as a competition in itself, but to have actually a league championship, because I do think for the Division 3 and 4 teams, like the one you managed, Louth, actually the league is more important for these teams because you can actually play six or seven games, win a trophy at the end of it uh, against uh, teams of a similar standard and then be progressed then through the leagues if you can. Um but for uh, counties to have only one match in, in, in the summer, I'm hoping that, look, I, I don't know if the Super 8's really worked. Um, obviously, the, there is a, definitely a tier now where you, when you're looking at football, you're probably thinking that Dublin, Kerry, Mayo, Tyrone, Donegal, not many teams beyond that Cork and win in All-Ireland a given year. Galway maybe as well in that conversation. But by the time next year comes around, we hopefully will have a better uh, position that we're in now. Yeah, well, hopefully we will. But I don't see I don't see the format that I that I would wish to see happen happening because I think for for to get these for for to get the, the competition to start with a bang like Gavin suggested you know, the provincials will have to to go what well, Leinster will have to go so if you if you remove the Leinster provincial championship well what do you do with the rest of them I personally and I've always said this would like to see the groups the Euro Championship or the World Cup style group stage championship where you know you have your top two teams seeds one and two you have your division three team and division four team seeds three and four so you get the best of both worlds you get games where um teams the lower teams can be competitive in and you will get the big games you imagine the equivalent of a portugal germany france group in 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 gaelic football it'll be fantastic and you know i i think that's the way forward but because of the way the association is set up and the provincial councils holding so much power and the money associated with provincial championship i don't think they will ever remove that but i i certainly think that's the way to, to brighten up and to liven up the football championship and um, because at the moment we know what happens in leinster okay the rest of them are competitive relatively um you know and, and it, it, it's it, it's becoming more dour and dour as the years go on take it out of uh, as was said there take take the provincial championships out of summer because they're not well, Ulster Championship aside, they're not as um, 
they're just they, sh- they, sh- they shouldn't be the, they shouldn't be the things that you're you're branding your whole sport on you know um i think the broadcasters have a big thing to do with this as well because again when we look at every other sport it's the broadcasters are pumping so much money in that they demand that they they can they can produce something for the public to be engrossed by um the super eight one of the best sporting events i think i've been to in the last few years was um the monaghan Kerry match up in clonus it were two years mm-hmm. ago now david clifford yeah yeah when donnie and clifford pl- did a bit of kobe and Shaq for like just for one summer you know we were thinking god it would be great to get a couple of years of this um that was just that's that's what the gaa championship should look like you know those games three or four of those games right through the summer and like because then you can hold it up again we go all the way back to the the 91 dublin me thing was brilliant because it showed you okay you got italy 90 you got hysteria around soccer in the country but then the gaa came back with and it, it was only it only came back with it in something that was comparable as a spectacle as entertainment because it was draws and replays so yeah you'd just i just i'd love to be like the the buzz of going to clonus with carry people walking in is is something so uniquely irish you know that that's what we want to see. That's what I'd love to see every. But the Dubs would love to be on the road as well. The Dubs would embrace it. They'd be love to be going out to Thurlis. Sure, we were we were doing a week of nostalgia around two thousand and one a couple of weeks ago, and ahead of a Dublin Kerry game. Um, you'd love to see Dublin going to Killarney if you had a group stage or you had, um, I don't know, some kind of group uh, scenario like a league championship in the summer, getting people around the country. Okay, the attendances are smaller. You get to semi-finals, final, have them in Croker, but but be but before that, Moratrasa, why not? Um, I don't think the attendances would be smaller if there was something appetising to go to. Um, but just know, in terms of the capacity, what I meant, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, capacity, yeah. But, um, yeah, let, but make it more exclusive, that's the thing, isn't it? Um, give you a product to go on the road with. And I hate to use the word product around Gaelic games, but when you're talking about advertising and sponsorship, that is what it is. Um, and also, it would definitely help level the playing field a bit because I don't care what anybody says, when you're moved away from your own comfort zone, it does take a little bit away from you because you're not having your average routine and you have to you have to factor in so many other things into your preparation which let's face it for the most part Dublin don't have to do and I'm not saying that's why they won all they won but it's certainly one small factor in a field of lots of different factors but I do think yeah like that game you just brought back so many memories there that Kerry uh, Monaghan game it was a heat wave it was a glorious day it was a sunny Sunday afternoon there was so much on the line every time the ball was kicked every time there was a hand pass every time there was a 50-50 ball there'd be a sharp intake of breath they were sized of relief screams of joy screams of despair it had everything you needed for a match and isn't it awful that as we're thinking about games we can only think of a handful that come to the top of your head that has that had that kind of atmosphere before maybe a semi-final or an all-ireland final there has i mean i don't know what the answer is but there has to be a way to try and create that atmosphere earlier and earlier in the season like you said kick it off with a bang and give people a reason to get up and go and drive to the other end of the country because they know they'll be entertained because it's called a spade a spade. It's an expensive day out. If a family, say, if mom and dad and two kids hit the road from, say, say that Kerry game went up to Clonus, they probably stayed the night before, maybe the night of the match, put diesel in the car, feed everyone, you know, take time off work, maybe if you're going to stay over the Sunday night. You know, you're going to factor these things in when you're making these decisions. If it's going to be something, if it's not going to be an interesting game, you're not going to be entertained, why would you do it? Uh, Kiefer Moore has gone very close for Wales to scoring, but it's still goalless between Wales and Switzerland in the European Championship in Baku. Uh, Cork six points, Westmead eight in the Division Two relegation playoffs. Uh, Cavan three points, uh, Wicklow three points, and Navan in that uh, Division Three relegation playoff. I'm sure you'll be taking an interest in Loud and Carlo. Uh, how's Mickey been doing, Wayne? Yeah, well, I, I don't know how he's been doing apart from results-wise, but um, yeah, I think they've been they've been doing well. I think they will have enough. Well, I'm hoping to have enough to beat Carlo today. Um, in the in the last two games, they have uh, produced really good second half half performances against Leitrim and Sligo. So, if they can produce a more rounded performance today for the full hour or the hour and ten minutes, I think they'll be okay and they will beat Carlo. Um, but yeah, look, um, to say that uh, the young players of Loud will benefit from somebody like Mickey's experience um, is an understatement. So, I think they're in good hands. In fairness. Who's impressed you in the football uh, league so far, Wayne? Yeah, just the usual. I think the the fact that Kerry came out all guns blazing and David Clifford is making the headlines again, and Paul Ganey's back in the scene. Um, you know, I think they 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 re- they really impressed me. Um, Clifford's goal in one of the games, uh, you know, soccer style was brilliant and got everybody talking. And um, so I'm I'm really ho- hoping they can kick on now. It's interesting to see what happens this weekend against Tyrone, that'd be a big test. Um, 
But I'm, I'm just hoping that Kerry, as much as I like and admire the dubs, I'm just hoping that Kerry can push on and really challenge them this year. Um, I never thought hurling was broken as my favourite sport and for many years it wasn't and uh, suddenly I'm kind of reading every day that there's issues with the advantage rule, there's issues with fouling, there's issues with the, the size of the and the weight of the slitter and the grooves in the slitter. What happened Mortrasso? Where did it all go wrong? Because uh, we're not really talking about the matches at the moment. Well, did it all go wrong or is it just people are complaining when they don't like rules being applied? I mean, I was... I've found it very interesting during the week was it James Scal you had him on OTBM yeah, yeah. and he was talking about how he weighed the slitters and all that kind of stuff and there is no difference so maybe instead of let's take a devil's advocate view on this instead of complaining about all the things that are wrong with it and take a look at ourselves and maybe stop fouling you know and stop you know stop going in we've been told now this is how the rules are so why are so many teams uh, persisting with um, older tactics that are now going to get you ticked that are now going to get you yellow cards and just focus on the game in hand and play the ball and not the man and people say that's not what hurling's about it's a warrior game and um, that's true to a point and I think maybe of all the sports um, hurling has suffered for not having crowds and I think perhaps we'll see less of this complaining once crowds start filtering back to crowds Why, why is that? Why do you think that is more attractive? I think it's because you know players get you know you can make decision making issues and all of a sudden it's people are less careful where they place the ball and it becomes 50-50 balls it comes contested people are going for the air for the ball at the same time people make more mistakes it gives you more opportunity to create a bit of chaos a bit of problems with decision making and all of a sudden it makes a game very exciting and it gives maybe you know people I don't know how to explain it I just feel like it needs a crowd and I think hurling has suffered more as a result and um, I do think as well maybe once crowds are going to matches people will have less opportunity to be sitting around ruminating about the ruination of hurling because they'll get to go there in real life and see it and I also think as well as that another reason why people are talking about the ruination of hurling is that uh, to call you know this year in particular Yarra is only the league is really appropriate it really is only the league when it comes to hurling so the players who are out there playing at the moment in the league they're not the teams you're going to see in championship and they're not going to be the tactics and the intensity is going to increase it has to because why would people go out all guns blazing this year when they didn't have to? They've kept things, like even we saw last week, Limerick, you can see them just slowly winding up to be on fire just when they absolutely need to. So teams that um, are firing in all cylinders now won't be when it really matters, you'd imagine. But are any of them firing at the moment? I don't think so. And I think that's the root of a lot of the complaining as well. Players, it's not that players aren't giving 10 out of 10, but there's no impetus to have to be giving 10 out of 10. So that's part of it. We can kind of sense that malaise in the air as well and we start complaining about the, the, the hurling then. Gavin, I just I wish everybody would leave hurling alone. I think Wirtrass is 100% right there, though. Of all the sports, of all the sta empty stadiums, sample stadium with no people, just changes the way the game is played. It changes the energy of it. Um, yeah, I think hurling has suffered more than most sports because hurling crowds do, do have more of an effect on momentum in matches, I think, than any other sport. I think. And Wayne, would you be of a similar opinion? Yeah, I, I think on, on the rule changes, I think you, you have to really have a really considered sort of not necessarily long term opinion, but more of a medium term opinion on whether the rules work or about the slitters and, you know, the different rules that they introduce. You know, you, ha you have to be considered and say, look, let, let's see where we are after after the, a full season. And um, yeah, of course, the, the crowds, I, I think it, it affects the, the, the football games just as much in terms of atmosphere, especially when you get to the big football games but the crowds are, are a significant factor but I, I, I don't subscribe to the fact that we're going to have a boring summer in the hall and I think there's still going to be epic games you know hopefully perhaps towards the end maybe with some sort of capacity in the stadium but you know just be considerate about it and let's see where we are at the end of the year but you know I, I'm not a hurling man but you know I, I'll be watching I'll be watching all the big games you can be sure of that So you were watching Djokovic and Nadal uh where did it rank in terms of their their great matches that they've had, Gavin? Uh, the third set was certainly as good as anything you'll see between them over the years. And you could feel that Nadal was finally, because um, he's unbeatable, obviously, on clay, you know. And in the third set, it's he looked, one of the commentators meant, I've never seen Nadal look tired. You always see Djokovic looking tired, but it doesn't matter. He just keeps plugging along. He's a machine. But Nadal looked flushed. He looked wrecked, you know, in that third set. And... Uh, yeah, it, it it felt like a kind of a changing of the guard moment a little bit. And you man, Djokovic, we all love to hate, is going to go on and break everyone's all the records now, probably, which is um, just it's it's there for him because of age. But it was it's right up there with any of the epics you can ever watch. Yeah, it was it was it was just phenomenal.
Barbara Krajcikova against Anastasia Pavlichenkova is underway. The women's final. I got the names right. Uh, one game all in the first set. Uh, are you a tennis head, Mortrasa? Um, yeah, um, I've been to Wimbledon twice, actually. Oh. Uh, Did yeah, you have to really queue? Enjoyed it. No, this, this, this is where I'm elite for once in my life. <laughs> when TGK had had the, had the television rights at the time, they, uh, you were allowed to apply as the host broadcaster for um, tickets. Obviously, you paid for them, you paid full face value, but you were allowed to apply for kind of a separate raffle that would get you tickets so you didn't have to queue. So we swanned past the queue. And even better, not only do you swan past the queue, but I didn't realize there's a queue for the queue. So there's a queue for the queue, and then you get into the official queue, and then you get inside. Um, and then even when you get inside, you're getting different tickets for different areas. So I had tickets for um, Centre Courts. I was there for, for um, matches when the roof was closed and the roof was open. It's a great atmosphere. It's a great day out. Um, yeah, there's something there's something hypnotic about tennis. A bit like snooker. You don't have to be an expert in it to get sucked in very, very quickly and enjoy it. And it's so tactical. It's so enduring. It's, it's so hard on the mentality of the players who are participating in it. A bit like golf as well, actually. It's, you kind of see all the struggles of human character play out over a period of a few hours and see people grow into it and see people wilt. It's it's fascinating. It's amazing. I love watching it. But um, I was lucky enough as well, any time I went, the weather was glorious. It was the typical Wimbledon day. I'd recommend anyone, if you ever get the opportunity to go, it's a great experience. Even if you have no interest in tennis, you will genuinely have a wonderful day out and we were giving out earlier about the English football team Wimbledon is just the very best of British like you'll ever be ever so polite everything is ever so clean everything is ever so spiffing and you'll have glass after glass of pims it's magical I thought you were going to say Robinson's Farley water there for a second uh, not at all go hard or go home (laughs) yeah Um, it's interesting uh, I think you're a golf fan Wayne are you yeah, I am, yeah. I'm playing a lot of book golf this year than I have in the last few years, so yeah, I love it. Leona Maguire, that's some story, isn't it? Second at halfway, and tied for second to the latest LPGA event, 135 weeks, number one amateur in the world. And I think she's now making the grade in the LPGA Tour to the degree now that she can win tournaments, and, and after that, who knows? Unbelievable achievement, um, and, you know, I think she's she's really going to be going on the up, and, you know, I think... I think Irish golf's in a re- pretty decent place at the minute. Like with Shane Lowry's good showing recently in the USPGA and you know in, and another tour event. So yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it's 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 really good. And you know what I find fascinating in the golf world at the moment, talking about rivalries, is that there's a really nice one heating up between Kupka and the Chambro, and I think everybody's interested to see how that'll pan out. So yeah, um, yeah, big and in- big interest in the golf. That's almost like WWE, isn't it? I'm almost wondering, Gavin Comiskey, if uh, Brooks and Bryson are just laughing together themselves and they close the door. Uh, I like be. <laughs> as soon as that, every time that headline pops up between the two of them, I just flick on straight away. No interest. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it is, yeah. But I haven't got past the second paragraph yet of that um, little uh, debate in golf. Really, I love it. I just love it. Maybe it's the gossip pound in me. I just love the drama. <laughs> I see it and I click into it. Do they actually hate each other, or is it, is it real? Yeah, it's genuine. Um, it, it I don't looked know real. If it's real it, or not. it looked did look real, didn't it, Wayne? Um, it, it it looked real in in the recent little spot when he he was walking behind him in an interview, and he he generally looked pe- peeved off. Let me say uh, that he he was walking past mumbling, but yeah, look, it's it's all about the rivalries. Is it these guys have massive egos, and when one of the, one of them rubs one of the other ones up the wrong way. I, I think it's compelling, but uh, yeah, mm. we'll see what happens. And even, even like the passive aggressive tweeting between them, like I can't remember yeah. which, but they were going back and forth. And then one of them says, you know, glad to see I'm living rent free in your brain, bro. It's just yeah. in your head. Like, I just think th- there's definitely something there. I think, I mean, the pair of them could be laughing all the way to, to the bank about us. Cause you know, we're all of a sudden getting interested in golf where, you know, let's face it, it's been losing viewership. People won't be, haven't been sticking with it as long as they used to, to the point now where it talks about making, you know, any way we can speed things up to get the young ones because you know all we do now these days is watch TikTok we haven't got the stickability but this kind of stuff makes you stick and it makes you interested and compelled and that's the thing with all sports it doesn't matter what sport it is you need characters and you need story arcs and storylines and these guys whether they want to or not they're providing it we will see in the Ryder Cup whether they're, they're going to get on with each other or not so that would be interesting I wouldn't say it's 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 McEnroe Connors to a degree. It's a little bit like that, but um, it's it's not wor- wonderfully entertaining. But it is more 
uh, I suppose, fun than what you'd normally see with golfers, which is very, very almost a syrupy, uh, genteel uh, way of, of, of going about their business when actually they're quite individual and they're quite living in a bubble and they're quite, there's a selfishness to golf. So look, if it, if it gets golf to, the as you say, the TikTok generation, more trash, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I do think it's a little bit of hot air um, and I don't think it's really that serious uh, that the spat between the pair of them. Um, I'll just, uh, given your rugby background, uh, Gavin, as well, interested in your views on the Lions. Are you, are you buzzed about it or excited about it? What are you expecting the next few weeks uh, in terms of the prep for the Lions and what we'll see? Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm obviously I, I, I love my rugby, but I'm not. I've never been enthused by the Lions, by British and Irish Lions coming together for this. Uh, it's just it like the games itself will be brilliant, but it's it's just one big marketing. It's all the bad things about sport. One big fat brand. Um, but once the games get started, as usual, it'll be extremely compelling. It'll be really interesting. Um, I think Andy Far- when Andy Farrell lands just before the Test series, I don't know if that's confirmed yet. That'll be really, really. Uh, um, he'll bring in a, a huge element that Irish rugby needs to have their head coach there, especially when there's so many others, because they definitely missed out on a couple of key players like James Ryan is not going because there was no Irish voice in the selection room. So that's important. But yeah, again, again, it's like what Wayne said. He, he, he's watching his Liverpool lads in the England team. Like that's the way it is. You're watching your Irish lads in the Lions team. Um, in that sense, it'll be very interesting. And it'll be a sneak peek into what the uh, Pro 16 rugby will look like next year. Like when you see the body count and the injuries, it'll be um, on a whole other level because as we know, South Africans are the biggest humans um, that we have <laughs> probably exist on the on the planet. But um, lots of both teams are completely undercooked. Uh, South Africa are actually probably, for the first time ever on the Lions Tour, the, the host nation, South Africa, probably in a worse state preparation-wise than the Lions who are cobbling together now, like, you know, because... They haven't played a game of rugby since the 2019 World Cup final, um, which is kind of shocking when you think about it as far as preparation goes. But they're going to stay with more or less that, that team, except for Tendai Matuara, who's retired. Um, I'm uh, I'm interested to see how it goes. The, the thing about a Lions, it's always a Lions tour can go badly wrong. Like, like 2005 is a great example, really easily. That's why they try to stick with so many things like a Warren Gatlin, something that's consistent. So it almost there's almost a club mentality so you can get the things up and running. But... It can be lopsided very quickly. Like the Lions could get it, can can all or always have the possibility of getting it badly wrong and the whole thing being a flop. But the last three last three tours have been excellent. So yeah, um, excited when the games start. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, enjoy uh, England and Croatia tomorrow, Gavin Moore, Trassa and Wayne. I know you'll be watching. Yeah, sure. Yeah, hopefully Probably, Croatia yeah. win. <laughs> and uh, thanks for joining us on the Saturday panel review in the week. Take care, folks. Right. The Saturday panel. On off the ball. The OTB Podcast Network with Gets at Go. Quick start car insurance you can sort anytime online, then bounce on with your day. Get a quote today at getsetgo.ie.